Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic. What makes the best leaders so good? Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, everybody, you're going to like this episode today. This is Jeremy Lehner, Senior Vice President of Global Sales at Providence Medical Technology. Basically runs sales teams, extremely effective, very, very successful. Um, his background is really cool. You're going to hear us talk about everything from his his acting career to, um, to uh, sports and uh, really, really cool, interesting stuff. Really love his just down-to-earth nature and uh, really well-grounded um, in light of a ton of success. This guy knows what it takes to be a great leader and move up in leadership and impact more people. He's got a real strong why, so I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So here you go. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and also leading other people. I have a great guest on today. His name is Jeremy Lehner, and he's the Senior Vice President of Global Sales at Providence Medical Technology. He is based in Dallas, Fort Worth area, raising a, uh, a basketball team, family of four kids, <laughs> and keeping himself busy. And uh, what an interesting story he has, and I'm excited to talk to him about it. But Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Really excited to be here. You got it. I I am as well. I'm excited to talk to you. And uh, I know we we chatted a few weeks ago and had a great conversation. Uh, so I've been looking forward to this. Um, so there's so many things I love to just get into with you. And uh, you know you you've got such an I, an influential role right now. We're going to get into that. But I want to take it back. I want to take it back to uh, what you were sharing a little bit about your initial. Uh, start in your career was a totally different career, totally different field, right? It was it was acting. So tell, why don't you tell, start up. Tell, I'd love to hear this because my hidden passion has always been to get into acting. I never did anything about it. You're a guy that did something about it. So tell tell us what yeah. what that was like. Well, so so just to clarify, um, I you know when I came out of school, I had a sports management business administration degree. I moved down to Tampa, Florida. And I, I took an internship with a major league soccer team at the time. It just started. It was the Tampa Bay Mutiny. Um, you know, now major league soccer is a pretty big deal, but back then it was, it was grassroots and there was just a few teams in the country. And um, so I was an intern. They offered me a, a role um, in ticket sales. So I'm out peddling soccer tickets, season tickets, group tickets to the greater Tampa Bay area, competing with major league baseball and NFL football and hockey and, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was a great experience. Um, I was making below minimum wage based on the hours I was putting in, you know, somewhere between 80 and a hundred hours a week, I would imagine. But, um, it was, it was an awesome experience, but I had been introduced through uh, a family member to somebody that was doing some acting and some commercial modeling. And I was really interested in it. And when I think back as a kid, you know, I used to love going to plays at the school. I was never in them because I was in all these sports and just never joined drama or, or anything of that nature, but it was always of interest to me. So I started asking some questions and she said, Hey, there's, a, there's an acting class locally, you know, here's the name and number, go contact the, the teacher. 
So, you know, after work, I would go to an acting class. And I did that off and on for about two, two and a half years and really started to learn the craft. And probably more importantly, was learning a lot about who I was, learning about meditation and some a whole different world I hadn't really explored before. And uh, it was it was really cool. And, you know, inevitably, I, I ended up getting an agent. Um, I was doing a lot of print work. So modeling, quote unquote, but also doing a lot of commercials, um, you know, local industrial stuff. And, you know, it, it was a really, really neat experience for, you know, I would say the greater part of five or six years in my early 20s, you know, getting to kind of see that side of, uh, of the world. All the while I'm doing my day job, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working in Major League Soccer. Eventually I went on to another sports marketing firm and then ended up in healthcare. But all along the way, I had this this backdrop of, of um, doing a little bit of acting and uh, modeling, which was, which was kind of a neat, that's neat, awesome. neat adventure for me. And, and by awesome. the way, not without a ton of rejection, because number one, I wasn't the, uh, I wasn't well-trained in acting. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I took a yeah. class and learned a little bit about it. So for every one, yes, I got at least 25, 30, 50 no's. I mean, that's was, pretty cool though. I mean, at that young age, so how old were you at that time? You're in your early 20s? 20, 21 through 25, 26. Yeah. Okay. So you're basically doing what, uh, I think every kid dreams of like, okay, you watch a movie. You're like, okay, I want to, I want to get into acting. You did something with it. So you took classes. Did the classes teach you a lot? Like, did you actually learn a lot about how to did it teach you stuff other than just acting or was it like good life lessons there? No, absolutely. Like I said, I mean, I was doing a lot of self-reflection, meditation, breathing exercises. How do you ground yourself to get ready to perform and take on whatever role you're going to take on? So it was a, it was a pretty transformative experience in that I had no exposure to that prior. You know, I just, it wasn't a world I lived in. I was in a very competitive, you know, sports environment and, and, and school trying to get the best grades I could get and then trying to get the best job I could get. And, you know, this was just taking a, a very different approach to everything. And, you know, back now it, it, you know, definitely provided me, you know, a unique space and a foundation to work off of that, that has applied to other things I've done, you know, down the road. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't talk about it a whole lot. My wife was uh, who I met, probably kind of towards the latter portion of, of the, the acting and modeling time. But she, she's always been somebody that's been able to ground me and say, Hey, whether you're doing a, you know, Adidas commercial or on a big billboard on the side of a bus or whatever it is, you know, you still, you're still, you know, somebody that should be uh, very humble in their approach to, to life. Yeah. And she, you know, she's been there. We've been married almost 20 years now, 19 years this year. So she's kind of been the, the rock keep me very grounded whenever grounded. i felt like i was getting a little, little too big <laughs> she I never let you you let your head get too big uh, so no. so what was the biggest uh gig that you end up getting well you know i would say i was in i was in a uh a low budget film you know very, really small part um i was in and i was probably in a couple other little films but um i did a pretty big national commercial for applebee's that ran for a, a while that a lot of people saw around the country did a bud light ad um, you know, I did, I did a lot of commercials that, you know, you may or may not have seen, you know, That's at that time, cool. but those are probably the, you know, yeah. the more well-known, but did you, you know, I, I really liked some of the jobs, you know, you get to travel to other places and, and, you know, whether it was a print job or a, an industrial, which is, you're just doing kind of a film or a, uh, an industrial, uh, 
spot for a company that's going to use it within their own, you know, confines, not for the public consumption. Yeah. A lot of those are really interesting, you know, jobs to do. Yeah. I've seen a bunch of them. I remember somebody, you know, watching, you know, hours and hours of training videos and stuff. Yeah. And you realize those yep. actors are, are hired actors and that's right. make a living doing that. That's pretty cool. So, so did you, um, did, was it something that well, so you did it for how long? How many years were you in that? Uh, five, six years, maybe yeah. seven, you know, as what happens is, you know, as you're, you got to make a decision at some point, okay, what do I want to do with my career? Am I going to be you know, pursuing this? And, and, and then you have to move. I was in Tampa, Florida. That's not a market you can really make a living full time. And, and some people could do it, but I couldn't. Yeah. Um, you have to make a decision. Do you want to go to New York city? Do you want to go to LA? Do you want to go to a major market where you can really pursue, you know, that, and, and, you know, I was all along the way was really building my, you know, my selling skills, my leadership skills and, and thinking about what do I want to do in the future? And when I got into healthcare, my first job with Cardinal Health, that's when it really became a challenge to balance the opportunities with, with my career. And I just said, you know what, I, um, where I was at is getting, I think we either were pre pregnant or pretty close. It was like, all right, I got to make a decision here. Yeah. And you know, and I, I, and I'm glad I went the direction I did to yeah. say the least. So that was kind of the, the, the slow teetering out of, of, yeah. uh, of those jobs and really focusing on my career and building. That's you know, good. Building well, it, yeah, I'm sure it prepped you in a lot of ways. I, I, one of which I'm sure it, it helped you build a real thick skin. I mean, in that industry, they're telling you not only no, but they're probably telling you every reason why they're saying no. And it's not the nicest comments, right? Yeah, you're you're to this, you're to that. You don't look right. You're, I mean, you name it. Uh, it's it's very cold, you know. Yeah. It's and it and you're right. It was a perfect um, it was a perfect grounds to work from for sales because when you go out in sales, it's the same thing. If you're building a region or a territory or a business, and mm -hmm. you know you're dealing with customers and competitors, you get told no a ton. So that resilience is really important. How do you get up the next day motivated when you just got your butt handed to you all week long? And now it's Friday. And you're like, you got to make, you got to close the deal. You got to do something. How do you, how do you stay in the game? And, right. and yeah, yeah, John, I think it's a great point. I, you know, I actually didn't really think much about that, but that rejection over and over and over probably did serve very well for the transition into outside sales. Yeah. And you work it out, you figure out the numbers, how many times you need to get no uh, and a rejection to get a yes. And you start to equate it with one step closer to a yes. So yeah. now was Cardinal health, was that your first, uh, real, uh, was that your first step into leadership or was that a sales role? What was that? Yeah, actually, um, both. So, you know, I had done the professional sports for a couple of years, major league soccer. Then I had a little stint, um, in sports marketing, which was kind of interesting. It was through, um, again, a friend in the network who said, Hey, there's a sports marketing firm. They're doing this national golf tournament for playboy magazine. And they actually got my, at that time was my girlfriend was working there. And she said, you should check this out. We need somebody to sell advertising and sponsorships around the, the tournament. So I was like, wow, Playboy magazine, this is kind of interesting. So, you know, <laughs> uh, long story short, for the for about a year and a half, two years, we built a national golf tournament. It was for amateur golfers. It was a scramble. We went all around the country doing local tournaments, um, all in the, you know, in partnership with Playboy. And um, these tournament winners, then we would fly them out to Los Angeles. They would participate in a championship you know, round that was, it was on like Fox sports net at the time. 
And then uh, everybody would go to the Playboy Mansion for a party. So you can imagine wow. all the participants were very eager to win their local tournament to get invited to the national championship. And for me on the sales side, you know, being able to use the most powerful men's brand at the time, I mean, you're talking, this is, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. um, I'm selling advertising spots in the magazine as well as sponsorships. And uh, it was, it was a great experience, but you know, we did that for about a year and a half. Uh, we're going out to Los Angeles and it was, it was a really exciting time, but also had its drawbacks, you know? And again, it was, it was kind of a learning experience. What I, what I thought was going to be this really exciting, neat thing was I was, I was getting underpaid, underappreciated, working my tail off, um, you know, and, and the environment, although it was, it was playboy and really exciting, you know, really wasn't something that I felt like was adding a lot of value to others other than a little bit of entertainment for the, the participants. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like there's probably more I could contribute in another industry, you know, yeah. and, it, and it was, it was fine. I was again, really young and yeah. thankfully was working with my, you know, eventual wife and, you know, we got engaged during that time frame, and, and then eventually, uh, you know, married not, not far after, but right. that led me to the next thing, which was like, all right, what do I want to do that I could contribute using some of the skills that I'm developing this ability to sell and build relationships and, and drive value to organizations. And, you know, healthcare seemed to be kind of a natural fit. And I've been hearing about it, but didn't really know much about pharma. didn't know about medical device, um, started to learn a little bit more about it. And was very fortunate to get an opportunity to interview with Cardinal and um, and landed landed a role in one of their divisions. Wow. So I want to get into that, but I, I need to go back for the sake of our listeners that want to know what is a party at the Playboy Mansion like? <laughs> What's that like? Yeah, it's you know, it's it's everything you think about in terms of the the glitz and the glamour. And you know, they, what's really neat is they've got this big game room house, like a separate little house that's just gaming, and there's a big trampoline, and they have a zoo there with exotic animals in the grotto that everybody's heard about. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a really neat place. It's very exclusive. You don't even know where it is unless somebody brings you there. You have to park on UCLA's campus then they bring you up in a shuttle bus. Security opens these big gates with that are covered in. You would never recognize where it is from the road. You go up this long driveway to a, you know, a circular path and there's this beautiful mansion sitting there. So it's, wow. it's really cool. You don't go in the mansion. You know, you're on the grounds of the mansion, but we weren't allowed to go in the house. Oh, the party I got you. Outside and, you know, yeah. and special tents and, and yeah. you know, but you're on the ground. So did you meet it was Hugh? really neat. Did you meet uh, Hugh Hefner? I, you know, I saw him twice, never met him. Yeah. 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 Wow. What a he cool. Wasn't, he wasn't very interested in, in meeting our group. Yeah. You know? Well, he's probably got a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of people wanting to get some time with them. Wow. What a cool story. So, so then you're, so you get to Cardinal health. What, wh at what point did you know that you wanted to, and I, for, first of all, one of the things you said, which I think is absolutely key. And I, I think a lot of people get through this realization, you were living a life that was giving you a lot of enjoyment and, and satisfaction, but you didn't necessarily feel like you were impacting others or contributing. Was that, was that the trigger? Was that the kind of the main impetus for making that move, that shift? Yeah. You know, I don't know if it was at the time I was aware that, you know, this wasn't the career trajectory I wanted, you know, and, and, and that became very apparent. And then it was, you know, over the, the course of really starting to explore what, what, you know, what can I do with some of the skills I have in, in healthcare? There's this huge industry that I, I just didn't know anything about, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. And, 
And I was able to gain some knowledge and information from friends and family members. I had a, uh, an uncle that was an anesthesiologist. I had some friends that were already in medical device sales and pharmaceuticals. And, you know, they, they kind of started to inform me, hey, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole industry here that needs people like you that can bring valuable information to healthcare providers, whether that's biologics, pharmaceuticals, you know, medical devices, medical technology, diagnostics, you name it. But, um, you know, there's, there's this huge, and, and by the way, you can make pretty good money doing it. So why don't you check it out? And, and that was like, wow, okay, I could be part of this. And if I go back to college, when I first enrolled, I was actually in a pre-med, pre-physical therapy track. I'd always been interested in sciences, you know, and, and I, I had a love for science and actually thought about physical therapy or medicine as a career. Um, but, you know, playing college basketball and some other things, I just didn't, I didn't have the discipline for that at, at that time to put the, I think that you know, the, the work in and the focus to get that done. And this was now a chance to kind of get back to something I, I think I truly had a passion for and could really help others. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was the beginning, you know, that was, that was kind of the pathway. And when you, when you were in it, what was that? What was, what were the first couple of years like? I mean, were you off to a great start? Was it what you expected? What was that like? Yeah. You know, so it was interesting. So within Cardinal, um, Cardinal's a huge company. And for those who don't know, I, I think at the time it was probably fortune 15, 16 company, major healthcare industry provider that does a ton of different things. My division was pharmaceutical technologies and we were actually building pharmaceutical sales forces and biotech sales forces for companies that had technologies that didn't have commercial teams. So we would build like a custom sales force to launch a drug or a product. And then the company would kind of measure our success rate. And then if they said, Hey, this is really working out, they would, they would purchase the sales team. So it was kind of a different, it was like contract sales, but it was a different spin on that. And um, I was, I happened to get into a women's health division that was launching um, medication for, uh, for women going through menopause. And then we went, I got into birth control and we launched a product called season Al, which was a breakthrough birth control uh, medication. And, you know, it was really interesting for me. It was, it, it kind of put me back into the school track. You're, you're, you know, you're going to heavy duty training. You're learning all about, you know, mechanisms of action of drugs and how they affect humans and pathology and disease states. And, it was great, you know, and it was a, it was a wonderful learning experience. And they trained the heck out of us, both on the clinical side, but also the sales side, professional selling. How do you communicate with a physician? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you follow a, a sales process? How do you build a territory? How do you manage your time? And, you know, the course of that first two or three years at Cardinal was, was all about just really professional training mm-hmm. and really how do you become a, a professional salesperson? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I embraced it. I, you know, I, I wasn't the number one guy in the sales training class. And in my first year, I wasn't the number one sales rep or probably in the second or third year, but I was always really, you know, competing and really building, you know, my foundation to, um, you know, to success. And, and I, I, I could feel that I was building momentum, you know, and I was getting recognized and some of the management were saying, Hey, you've got some, you know, some of the traits we look for in management, and, you know, you do a lot of things with the team. You're willing to help others. You jump in on conference calls and, and they started to give me opportunities to, to get into leadership development. And, you know, before I knew it, probably four years into that role, you know, I was, I was a manager, you know, and I'm now building a team. I had, a, I was managing 12 people in the Southeast of the United States, mm-hmm. hiring, firing, performance management, the whole thing. 
Hmm. And um, it was, it was huge. You know, it was a, it was a so big had, part of my career trajectory. Had they not brought that up to you and said, Hey, you know, you're showing signs of leadership. Would you have thought to do that? Was that something that was kind of in your, I, cause I know you, I want to talk a little bit about basketball too. And I know you were the leader on the team as a point guard. So was that just something you knew you wanted to do or was there them tapping you on the shoulder, kind of the trigger for that? Yeah, I think inherently I love leading and, you know, but it's, it's all about confidence. And I was new in that industry and I was like, well, I'm young, I'm new. There's people that have been doing this for 10, 15 years. How am I going to manage them? And, and the reality is you don't have to know all the answers, right? And to be a great leader. And, and it's about doing things with integrity and, you know, and, and figuring out how to collaborate and get the best out of others. And, you know, and I learned a lot to your point on, on the, the fields of, of, you know, both courts of basketball and soccer fields and, and everywhere else I played sports, but, you know, leadership came naturally to me, but I didn't, I didn't know how to translate that into the professional. I was a little intimidated, you know, maybe because of my age or, you know, and then, then you start developing mentors and you start seeing how people are doing things and, and why, and, and, um, and then your natural, gifts start to come out and, you know, and luckily people recognize that. And that's what, you know, that's, what's great about being now leaders. I can see that in younger, less experienced people. I see those traits and, and start to try and cultivate that quickly and make them aware that, Hey, you're doing some really neat things. Are you interested in contributing to others? Are you interested in more than just your individual results? If you are, I'd like to help develop that within you. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, I was very fortunate to have, you know, a few people that recognize that in me mm-hmm. and we're able to take some of that natural gift and, and really start to cultivate it and, mm-hmm. and draw it out. I, um, real quick, because you brought up a question, because I, I, I get a question a lot from people that are either not yet into leadership, but want to go on that track or they're in leadership. They want to get promoted and move up. What advice would you give? So what are some of those things that you're looking for in somebody that you say, wow, this person's got some really good leadership potential? Well, I mean, listen, it starts with just your being state. If you, if you, you know, if you want to be a leader, start to act like, one. you know, what are things that leaders do that, that you've seen? If you, you know, what do you, what do you, what's your best, what's your best manager act like? What's the best, you know, leader? What's somebody you really look up to? How do they act? How, how are they being around others? You know, are you on time? To meetings? Do you contribute? You know, are you the guy that's always late with, you know, the administrative duties? Or are you the one that's early and, and does real high quality work? You know, and the little things all add up. You know, that's what I've really learned. It's all those little teeny things that you can make a decision on. Is it going to make or break? You know, but if you do all the little things all the time, right, people recognize it, you know, and, and over time you build habits, really good habits become, you know, a way of being. And, and that translates to, um, you know, really one really good results. You'll get better results, but also I think others recognize you for the, for what you do and the way you go about your day, the way you go about your business, your attention to detail, mm-hmm. the quality of work you do, and also the, the ability to, and the want, the desire to help others, you know, mm-hmm. who's, Who's raising their hand when somebody's, and I really need help with this project, with this customer, with this situation. In my industry, medical device sales, there's a lot of um, case coverage, meaning you're going in to support a physician in surgery. Well, sometimes your customers have surgery at the same time, two different places in your, in your territory or region. Who are the reps that want to go help that other, you know, their colleague out and cover a case? They may have to fly on a plane and miss business in their own region to do it. 
But who are the guys that step up and, and want to do that? And, and those are the people that you start to, they, they emerge as leaders. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. you know, they're willing to sacrifice their own outcomes and their own, um, you know, advancement for the, for the sake of others and for the sake of the team. Yeah. You know, they want that's, good outcomes for the team. That's such a good point. I mean, I, I re- remember I worked with somebody who was exceptional as, a, as an advisor, a financial advisor, when I was coming into the business and, and exceptional. And so naturally you thought this person was going to be a great leader and they turned out not to be because they didn't have those. They didn't, they were very good at taking care of themselves and, and making sure that they really excelled. But when it came to doing those things that sometimes little things that make a big difference for other people that require sacrifice and, uh, and willingness to uh, not take, you know, recognition and put it on somebody else, it just didn't happen. So I think that's a key attribute of leaders. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I've, I've seen so many, managers that you know they're they want their team to win they want their their subordinates to do well but they want them to do well so they get recognition not because they really want them to do well for them and it's it boggles my mind i don't know if that's just something inherent in people or the way they're raised or i've never figured that out but it it, it's um it just stifles me because again you know if i've got a team of people whether i'm managing two or a hundred you know, I want them to be successful for them, yeah. not because it's going to make me look right. good or make, you know, inevitably it will. It's just right. by natural, that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the spirit, the true spirit of, I think, authentic leadership is that you do care more about the outcomes of your, of your team yeah. than you, right? Well, individual. And I think that's, that's super transparent. I mean, people can see that. I mean, I think in general, people are pretty attuned and can pick up signals and they know, you know, if your followers your followers can tell if you've really got you, their best interest in heart or you're just trying to win for your own sake. I mean, you see it. I've been on teams like that where my leader, I truly felt like had my best interest. I, I knew there were times when now, all right, this is all about him or her. And, um, and that's, that's clear. And then it's, then the team goes a whole different direction. Yeah. Um, so you, you're, you focused a lot on uh, building, developing high-performing teams, um, and you've done that now in, in, a, in, a, in a real big way. What are some of the things that you think go into helping you do that and making sure a team is at its highest level of performance? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, the longer I go into my career, the more I realize, the less I know. <laughs> and I'm learning and consuming along the way, and I'm, I'm very humbled. Uh, as I listen to even, you know, podcasts like yours and, and there's so much uh, material out there that you can learn from and just consume information. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. We're just in a, an era where there's, um, there's just an abundance of such valuable information at your fingertips, you know, whether it's a podcast or something on the internet or through LinkedIn, you know, you name it, there's just so many ways to gather information and gather stuff you can, you can put into action. So, you know, I would say, my, you know, the, the, the high performance teams and the, you know, the foundation that I work off of and kind of my why is, you know, building and being part of high, for high performance teams that impact others in a positive way that create this kind of ripple effect, if you can visualize that. So we're doing things that really influence and, and positively impact other people's lives. And, and the, you know, I think the starting point for that is, is trust, building trust with your team. So that, you know, one of the tenets uh, that, that I really believe in is leading from the front. 
So as the leader, if I'm going to ask you, John, as a member of my team to do something, I myself should be able to do that, should, you know, step in and help you do that if needed. And not to say that my job is to do all the activities that my team does, and, and many of them do it much better than me, but I, I sure as heck should you know, be willing to give it my best and try. And leading from the front has always served me very well. And the leaders that I've looked up to lead from the front. They're the, usually the hardest working, first in the office, out of the office, you know, the, the first ones to respond when there's trouble. Um, so, you know, I think leading, to, leading from the front, building trust, building confidence and, you know, transparency. And I think that's something that in just in the last probably few years has really become clear to me is that the more transparent, the more vulnerable you are. It's okay if you don't have the answer, if you don't know. As the leader, you, that's not your job. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to know how to solve every problem, but you do need to know how to collaborate collaborate with team members. You need to have transparent discussions and understand that, Hey guys, we got a problem here. We're not getting the results we want. Why do you think that is? Here's what I think. I don't know if that's hundred percent right, but what do you guys think about it? What do we need to do to change the trajectory to get the, you know, meet the objectives that we want to meet. And, you know, let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's hold ourselves to a standard that really defines what a high performance team is, which is, we got to deliver results. It's not all about feeling good and kumbaya. Like we have to deliver results. The industry that I've been in for the last, you know, 14, 15 years in, in healthcare is mostly high growth companies that have new technologies that we're trying to bring to the marketplace that are venture backed. You've got to deliver results and pretty, pretty good ones at that. Mm-hmm. So we have to develop trust quickly. We've got to develop transparency and a culture where we hold ourselves accountable. And then we've got to go out and execute, you know, and, and when we do that, typically everybody's really happy. We get the results we intended to. And, you know, and people are, are fulfilled because we're doing great things for other people, not only within our organization, but we're impacting our physicians' lives, our, our patients' lives and, you know, and so on and so, and so forth. So the intrinsic value, get, you know, goes beyond the money we make or the, you know, the quota we just hit or, you know, you name any of the metrics that are, that are important in you know, many of the businesses we all uh, find ourselves in. So, yeah, you know, there, there, there's many tenants, but, you know, I, I do believe that, um, you know, for high performance teams, the foundation's really about trust. It's really about, you know, uh, belief in each other and then that transparency and, and vulnerability to, to kind of trust each other enough to say, hey, we're doing great. We're not doing great, but let's, you know, let, let's face the brutal truth and let's make, you know, the changes we need to to get the results we want. Yeah. Transparency, I think, is one of the uh, the most important traits for sure in a leader. And, you know, and again, people pick up really quickly uh, the BS factor. They can tell when, you know, somebody's not shooting straight um, and, and they can tell if, you know, they're not getting the full story or whatnot. Um, I mean, when when you see situations, when you're working with other leaders, I know you develop other leaders. um, how do you how do you teach somebody to be like that? I guess how do you teach transparency? I guess that's a tough question because yeah, I guess yeah. most people that are not transparent may not realize they are not transparent and authentic. Because you know, I'll give you a quick example. I I, I know of a leader where, um, to your point, people follow what you do not not even so much what you say. You've got to lead from the front because they're listening to what you say, and then they're watching what you do. 
And if what you're doing is not lining up, you know, real dumb example, I just had my daughter, I told her she left something in the sink and I'm like, Sky, you got to, I please don't leave pots in the sink. You got to wash it, put it in the, and then, then sure enough, a little later, I left something in the sink. She's like, well, dad, what that, that doesn't, so right away I lose my credibility and I'm like, okay, well, you know, bad, bad me. Uh, but how do you teach somebody? you know, the importance of that and transparency and all this stuff, if they may not even know they're not. <laughs> well, I, I think you're nailing it. It's, I mean, it's what are, what are the actions you take? I mean, it's, it's all about what you do and, and the culture you're trying to build and, you know, and having the, it's, I think John at the backdrop of that is, is a little bit of just, it's confidence. You know, are you confident and do you have the integrity? Are you taking action with integrity? Because if you do that, you know, transparency becomes easier because you're not hiding anything. You know, what do you have to hide? You know, it's, it's about teaching that, you know, teaching that I, I think is really challenging to articulate. I mean, but, it, but I think it's the way you approach, you know, the interactions you have as a team, the one-on-one, you know, uh, interactions I found are really important, you know, with, with team members that I, have worked with over the years, the managers where I got to spend a lot of one-on-one time together and we dedicated one-on-one time together, that type of conversation, which is kind of an intimate conversation can occur. Um, the group setting is a little more challenging. That's where the leader just has to show it, right? You got to go clean the pots and the pans in front of everybody and not leave them in there to, mm-hmm. to get that message across in the one-on-one coaching, the field rides, the, the calls. Um, you know, that's where I think you can have some of those more intimate, challenging conversations. Like, Hey man, no, I, I, li- I was on your conference call the other day and I, you know, I didn't come across real authentic. I felt like the team was picking up on, you really want to hit the number this month and you want them to do these things, but it really wasn't in the best interest of them or, or whatever that situation may be. But it, it, it doesn't put them on the spot in front of their peers. It's something where you can have this conversation and again, build trust. Yeah. Right. It's a building block. And, and, that interaction where, Hey, did you, did you feel that way? Or how'd you feel after that call? Did you get any feedback from your team on how you were leading? Yeah. You know, did they react, you know, and imposing yeah. those questions, yeah. right. And exploring that with them and, and see if you get that type of interaction. That's, it, it can be a little awkward, you yeah. know, it's, it can be a challenging conversation. To have. You know, and that's such a great point. I think leaders miss opportunities to develop people Everything is a leadership moment. So, you know, you see there's so many leaders that might see that, observe that and feel that way. Hey, you know, so-and-so is not really being transparent, but they don't give them the feedback or they don't give it specifically enough. Because if you just tell somebody, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm feeling like you're not as authentic and that's a really broad based and maybe hard to hear piece of feedback. But if you couple it with, hey, you know, when you're on this call, here's what you did or here's where your body language was saying, and, and I don't know if you realized it, but you weren't even really pointing toward every, anybody you were looking away and you, you know, that's where somebody is like, Oh, okay. Got it. You know, I didn't yeah. realize I was doing that. <laughs> the, t- the tough conversation, the awkward conversation to have. And I'll give you a, a anecdote. Um, I was developing a new sales rep. I was a, I was a manager in a, a medical device company at the time. And I was managing California, um, Oregon and Washington. And I had just put in an expansion region in Southern California, really competitive space. It was kind of the, the San Diego to Orange County, you know, market hired a rep that didn't have the medical device background that we really looked for really took a risk. You know, this was somebody that she just really impressed me in the interview. She had 
non-relevant experience to the profile. So, so right off the bat, my manager and, you know, the, the, the greater team said, wow, you know, are you sure you want to hire her? And, um, you know, and the story goes that she comes out of the gate. She's got this tremendous personality. I could tell she's super talented. She just needed honed in. She needed to develop a little bit of emotional intelligence. There's a lot of things around the edges that needed to be buffed and shined and, mm-hmm. and, but man, she was super talented. So, as it goes, you know, she didn't sell anything the first year on the job. That's not good. And, and again, in, in the medical device space we were in, we were selling a technology that you needed to move a lot of. You need, it was a, it was a high transactions. We were selling these devices they would use in orthopedic surgery to, to stop bleeding. So it was a hemostatic uh, uh, device. Anyway, long story short, she didn't sell anything for a year. And so my manager basically every quarter is going, hey, Jeremy, do you realize that she's not selling and what are you doing about it? Well, I'm coaching her. I'm doing everything you and I are talking about. I'm having the hard conversations and she's listening and she's adjusting and she's maturing and she's applying what we're trying to do. And all the were right. And now we're, you know, we're basically five quarters into her career with us. And, you know, my number's suffering because I'm not delivering the results I need. And, you know, but I'm being transparent. I'm being authentic to both sides. I'm coaching the, the rep talking to my manager and, and their manager about it. I'm like, listen, I really believe in this person. She is doing the right things. It's going to happen for her. And I mean, we were at the precipice of like, Hey man, basically your job's on the line. If you let this go any longer wow. and sure enough, John, you know, she popped and it was just like, you could see it. It wasn't, it wasn't like overnight, but got a customer, next customer, next hospital, next customer. And within, you know, within the next call it year, She's one of the top reps in the country and then went on to just have this incredibly powerful career at, at this company. And then even furthermore, we've stayed in touch. She's a, she's a dear friend of mine and uh, has just doing amazing things in her career that, um, you know, but I saw it really early and I didn't give up on her. And, you know, if I wasn't transparent and if I didn't give her the kind of direct feedback she needed, she, she probably would have failed and I would have failed and it would have been a catastrophe for both of us. Wow. That's so, amazing. I love, awesome. I love that story. You know, and, and obviously she has, and everybody's got a leader in their life that has made an unbelievable difference. And I, I know I'm sure that you are that to her. Um, you know, I, I, it brings up another question. I get this from leaders all the time. How do you know when, you should keep going with somebody or when it is time to pull the plug. I mean, it is to your, to your point, that's, you get high enough in, in a, in a company and you're, you know, your, your butts on the line. If you're making a bad decision or keeping somebody longer than they need to, uh, how do you know that? Yeah. And I mean, I, that is a, that's a science in of itself. And I, you know, there's a story behind the numbers. You know, I say that a lot in, um, I think it applies to most business, especially in the sales side or really probably any division you're within, you know, within it, it's, it's about what are the activities that are going on? You know, what is that person doing? What are, you know, what are they accountable to? Are they progressing? Are they flat? Are they moving backwards? And if you can assess that through really a good leader instills performance management metrics and, and techniques. And again, depending on the industry you're in, but there's, there's certain things you should be tracking against. But if you just clear the slate, it's like, is this person doing the right things day to day? And if you say yes to that, then it's like, okay, why aren't we getting the intended results? Well, let's look. 
and, and again, based on the nuances of, of, of the, the, the thing they're trying to accomplish, it's like, well, in this instance, I see this rep makes tons of sales calls. They're super productive, but they don't get a lot of, they don't get a lot of closes. Why aren't they getting closes? Well, let's go listen. What's happening during the sales call? They build relationships really well, but they never ask for the business. Well, let's coach them how to ask for the business. Mm-hmm. Now they start closing. They start making some wins. They build up that, that piece of the acumen that was missing. Now they're getting some results or maybe you coach them and they don't do it. They just, they're not good at it. They're not that talented. It doesn't suit them. Maybe they should find a different seat on the bus. Maybe they're better, better suited for operations. You know, maybe they're, they're analytical. Maybe they're, you know, you name it, but it's like, just because they're not doing well at this one role doesn't mean you can't find them a spot on the bus that really suits them and, and potentially can really help their team. And I think many leaders have stories of finding people within their organizations that aren't necessarily sitting in that right spot. Mm-hmm. And when you get them in the right spot, it's like, Oh my gosh, yeah. they just take off and you see it. And they're, they're so much happier. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if I've answered your questions. I don't know when the right time to cut somebody off is, but I know that if you've put in the work, you've done the assessment, you're coaching, you're performance managing, and you're not seeing the trajectory change, it's yeah. time to make a change. Yeah. You bring up such a good point, though. It's not a leaders think about it's either it's keep going or pull the plug. But to your point, a lot of times, and I think about that too, how many people I know that are really successful that started as one role and moved into a different role, and it was just they were in the wrong role. Great, great potential impactor and influencer and and game changer potentially that just had to find the right seat you know so great point uh i know we're running short on time here so i want to be respectful you've got a book coming out i know which was really interesting kind of playing into your experience as a point guard tell us a little bit about what's uh, what you got coming yeah so it's called the, the point guard approach and um it was uh, kind of a culmination uh, of of a lot of <laughs> a lot of years of doing basketball and a lot of years of, of being in the professional world. And I'm sitting on airplanes. Uh, this is five years ago and I'm flying everywhere, John. I'm spending, you know, hundred, 150,000 miles a year domestically, just traveling the United States, working with my team, doing what I love, but I'm spending a lot of time on the road away from my family. And, you know, while you're the, you know, you're on the airplane, you're in the hotel, you're on the train, whatever it is, there's a lot of downtime. And I'm thinking, Hey, I can do something better than watching every episode of this Netflix documentary or this series or, or whatever it is. And, you know, I had been contemplating, you know, uh, a number of ideas around this correlation between what I had learned on the basketball court as, you know, not only a point guard, but just playing basketball and, and what I do on a day-to-day basis as a leader, you know, concepts like vision, assists, leading from the front, resilience, flexibility, fundamentals, finishing, these are all things that in basketball are really, really important. Well, guess what? They're really important to what I do. And, you know, so I just started kind of taking some notes down. Um, I, I had met a physician during a, a, a dinner that we were doing, an educational dinner that told me about writing a book that, you know, he had done. Really got me thinking about, wow, he did that. He's, he's a full-time orthopedic surgeon. I, I can figure out a way to do this too. And, um, you know, kind of uh, start by starting right so you just you know you, you build a template get some ideas on paper and the next thing you know every time i'm traveling i'm writing and um before i knew it i had you know 22 23,000 words organizing a little bit of a framework sent it out to some friends some colleagues people i trusted got some feedback not all good not all bad said all right i got something here 
And over the course of the last three or four years, um, you know, really worked hard to put together, uh, you know, I, I think a story that can help other people. And that's really what it's about is, you know, these principles and these tenets that I've applied in my career and I've seen other really successful people that I look up to, you know, have, um, you know, really apply a lot of these ideas and concepts to the way they go about their life and their business. And, and you know, the concept here is to share that. So it's about the approach. What's your approach to what you're, what you're trying to accomplish? And, um, you know, I'm really excited. I'm hopefully in the next six, nine months, we'll have a book, uh, ready and, and on the market. But yeah, I, I've, I'm, I'm with a, a publisher and we're, we're in the process. That's exciting, man. I can't wait to read it. That's got a, I just based on our conversation, I know you got a lot of wisdom to share and a lot of learnings that you can pass on other people. So if people do want to either get on your mailing list or some kind of list so that they get notified of that, is there a way for them to do that? Yeah. So we build a landing page for the, the book. It's called the point guard approach.com all one word. Um, or you, listen, you can email me jlaner at gmail.com. Um, but on the website, there's a subscribe. You can put your email in there and we'll uh, definitely inform everybody of, of, you know, the progress and then when the, when the book's ready for pre-order and, and beyond. So awesome. yeah, really, really excited to share some of those ideas and and um, concepts. Awesome, man. And hopefully it'll be book one of many of a series. Yeah, man. God willing. God willing. Thank you. <laughs> well, good for you. Uh, this has been fantastic. I've loved talking with you and so many good takeaways. Um, and uh, I know we uh, we have to always try and crunch in as much as we can in a short period of time. But anything else that you want to you want to share? You got a lot of people out there that are listening that obviously are going to be intrigued by your story, what you've done what you've accomplished um and and wanting to do similar or move up the ladder or whatnot any any last bits of advice you give them you know my mom always said hard work pays off you know it's an old adage but you know i i truly believe that um you know i think if you're really passionate about something don't don't let anybody get in your way just just go after it wholeheartedly have the discipline to do it right you'll build the acumen along the way um, you know, and be flexible and resilient and, you know, whatever you want to do, um, you know, in your career and your personal life, I, I think you can accomplish it, accomplish it with that kind of backdrop, because at the end of the day, it comes down to helping others contributing. And, you know, if you have the hard work and the discipline to do it, nothing's going to get in your way, you know, you're, you're going to make it happen. So, you know, mm-hmm. with that, John, I really appreciate it. I love all the interviews you've been doing. I get a lot out of the podcast and I'm, I'm um, you know, really fortunate to be a part of yours. So thanks a lot. I hope, you know, if somebody takes even 1% out of this conversation, uh, it, that mean a lot to me. Well, so I'm sure they thanks will. So and that's, you know, we were talking about that, uh, you know, take, take something and run with it. If they can take a few ideas and I know you shared a ton, you know, and it's all about taking, taking one, one idea that they learned from you and implementing it doing something with it and then uh, look forward to coming, having your book come out and hearing more, more stuff. So awesome. Well, Jeremy, thank you for joining us and uh, we'll have you back another time down the road for sure. So thank you so much, John. Have a good one. You got it. Thanks everybody for joining. This has been today's episode of tomorrow's leader with Jeremy Lehner. Fascinating story. And uh, please be sure to like, share, comment, uh, subscribe. And as a reminder, on September 22nd, join me 5 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern time for a live leadership mastermind. It will be one that you do not want to miss. Make sure you message me directly. I'll get you the info on that. Thanks again for joining, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.